Progressive Rugby League. G'day, John Duncan. You've probably noticed by now that we like to return to the topic of French Rugby League every couple of months or so on this podcast. Why is that, I hear you ask? Well, for us, look, if this show had a postcode, it would probably be somewhere in the southwest of France, so it's kind of like going home. And I know what you're thinking, how the hell can you call the southwest of France home when you've spent all of four days there? Well, to that, I'd firstly say, it was five days, thank you very much. But I'd also say, I don't know, there's just an undeniable appeal for us, the history the bald-faced injustice, the resilience, the passion, the underdog spirit, the unique rugby league philosophy. From afar, you can have this romantic notion of French rugby league, but when you get there, you realise it's really not romantic at all. Actually, it's more substantial than that. After all, romance comes and goes. So no, it's not romantic, but it's real. And yeah, it's fairly small, but it's real. And there's a pride that flows from that. Those in France who love rugby league live rugby league, and because of that, you know they're not going to give up easily. You know they'll keep pushing. Today we're thrilled to be joined by a very proud French rugby league man who's doing his share of pushing. Sylvain Houlet is not only a top quality coach and former French international who plied his trade on both sides of the channel, he's a man that clearly prioritises rugby league philosophy. What else could explain the spectacularly entertaining and effective style of rugby league football that his team, the great Toulouse Olympique, play? So with Toulouse Olympique waiting out an unwelcome hiatus in their rugby league trajectory, we thought now would be the perfect time to pick the brain of one of French rugby league's finest. Yes, we'll chat about how Toulouse Olympique intends to come back from the season that never was, but we'll also take time to reflect on Sylvain's life in French rugby league, rising through the ranks, cracking Super League, representing the national team, and the best French players Sylvain Houlet has seen in his lifetime. Yes, Sylvain will be kindly sharing his best French 13 of the last 39 years. An enticing prospect, so let's delay no longer. Let's introduce the man himself, Sylvain Houlet. Welcome back to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Thank you, and bonjour, everyone. <laughs> it's great to have you back, mate. Very much looking forward to hearing your best French 13 from your lifetime later on. But before we get started, give us an update on the farm in Humigus. How has the summer been? Are we getting close to lambing season? Yeah, we do, actually. You absolutely spot on. They are we one month away from lambing, so <laughs> yeah, they're getting big now. But no, the farm has been good, obviously, with the, the, the circumstances that we had. It's been a while that I've been having walking around that much on the farm <laughs> for the last six months, you know. Like, so my brother was happy, you know. <laughs> yeah. I give him a good head. You could help him out, yeah. I should say, for those who don't know, although we have subtly mentioned it about 5,000 times since, that we visited Silver. <laughs> farm last year and you know without going too far over the top it was the best day of our lives now <laughs> Sylvain obviously the championship season got called off a couple of months ago it was up in the air for a while but eventually 2020 was cancelled which was such a shame and Toulouse Olympique had started very well five from five playing in a beautiful new stadium one of the favorites for promotion what was your reaction when the news was confirmed and and how did it make you feel was really, really disappointing when we heard the news, but I have to be fair to you, you know, like the more we were waiting for the decision, the more I think it was the right decision. When you look at players' perspectives, having a lockdown of three and a half months, it would have been really, really hard to prepare them, you know, like in four weeks. I think he would have put the players like in big danger. He would have, you know, like I often said that, you know, that he would have been at the slaughterhouse, and I don't think he would have been fair on the players. 
yeah. you probably can see that you know with with the NRL uh, looking at the Super League out there and the lead too you know you can see that every week there's cases of the COVID and so obviously for us you know when you're looking at it like from the first day of preseason it is really disappointing you know we, we thought and we built a really really strong squad you know probably like the best squad that I ever had and, you know when we sat down and we wanted to change a little bit our way of attacking again you know like so we put a lot of work into it and having obviously that like you say the new ground that I mean it was magical to play on that ground you know like we played three times so far it was you know we were going to have like our changing room because it's still on the process of building them so we didn't use them yet you know right. so yeah things that I know where you know you got a feeling of like an unfinished business but you know we couldn't control it happens it's obviously like some uh, circumstances yeah so how do you approach the 2021 season from a club perspective are you continuing to get together regularly with the squad or are you just treating it like a long off season and you'll see them again in the preseason? yeah you know at the beginning we had them you know like mainly like Adam Ines, our fitness coach give them program mm-hmm. but since then he's been calling off still they give them program and do their program I spoke to all the players that you see talk about what's happened next season you know but then we, we treated like a little bit of long season you know we're gonna start earlier you know like so mm-hmm. we're still waiting for the RFL to give us the date of when 2021 is gonna start you know yeah. to plan everything but like if it doesn't change if it's the first weekend of February we kind of plan that to get back you know in preseason a month earlier just to give us a little bit like obviously like we know that some players have been very professional and walked and still training but we know also that so hasn't done much so he's gonna take a few weeks to bring them back you know up to the level but also like I really want to plan you know January 4th a lot more friendly you know because it will have been like 10 months we haven't played game of rugby you know so I think that's a big key for us to like this year play a little bit more friendly than usually to prepare well for 2021 you know yeah and Sylvan I know you're a keen student of the game and you would have been watching a lot of the NRL and Super League this year. I'm curious in a coach's perspective on the six again rule, because this rule was really a last minute introduction into the second post-COVID part of the season. So teams didn't really have much time to prepare. So firstly, what do you think of the rule? And secondly, how do you think teams might change their preseason training for the rule once they have a whole preseason to prepare for it? Will there be changes to the way teams prepare physically and tactically, do you think? It's pretty good, you know. I don't mind it. Uh, I have to say, and and you can see how I already like, believe that you know, NRL teams are really adapt to the the way of not giving penalty because obviously it costs so much, you know. Like so, for us, what we spoke about is like mainly defensively. You've got less three-man tackle now, and so you need to be really strong. And I think you know, we believe that two-man tackle will be like a, a big key, and so for that. We're gonna have to be like really efficient, you know, within our two-man tackle. So mm-hmm. that's something, obviously, defensively, was gonna be very, very important. Your first defenders on the line, your eight defenders, gonna be key to where with your markers, where they're gonna need to know when they can be like aggressive or, or like when they're gonna have to adjust with the spacing. So that's gonna be like a big key. And obviously, after offensively, for me, the main thing is the, the role of the hooker position mm-hmm. is like now huge having the hookers who can create who can you know like give certainty you know around the rug is going to be so important I mean you watch Penry at the moment they're the best at you know hookers who can run fast on his feet mm. going to be like a big key and also like the back position when yeah recognizing when 
big forwards are tired, you know, then they're getting a little bit lazy, getting their feet wrong, their spacing wrong, and mm-hmm. they can take them on. So I think it's interesting. And on the fitness part, I think, you know, it's basically like you will demand a lot more, mm-hmm. too, you know, like especially around in the middle, them forwards going to have to be like repeat efforts after efforts. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, in the English competition, there's a lot of teams who play that. You know, they're playing completion games, so no mistakes, playing around the rug. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to suit the, the British game a lot, as mainly championship team. So we're going to have to be really strong around the rug. Yeah, that's very interesting. The English game, they're really concentrating on completions. Now, speaking of the English game, what do you think about the lack of scrums in Super League so far? Do you like that, or would you prefer to see scrums return in 2021? Yeah, I know that that's true. It's still like for me, it's uh, six against six with a lot of space, you know, like give you a little bit of attacking purpose, you know. So, and, and I really like what Zen Arrel done. Like, you can decide where you want to play the scrum. Mm. I, I prefer that and scrapping scrum, you know, like it's part of our game. And, and again, as I say, it's like where is a unique situation where you can attack. You can see some, some skills, some tactical play, you know, it's still a bad tactic. You can put forwards in your attack, you can put a, a second row, and then even like in the defensive scrum, you think about that, like how you can, in terms of the position, after to bring your line back together, you know. So it's still like a, a technical and tactical things, you know, for me. And I think, you know, I'm not a big fan of scrapping the scrum. Yes, well, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, it gives a, a little bit of a, a few options for creativity, which Toulouse Olympic is so good at. Now, Sylvain, many listeners know you as the coach of the great. Toulouse Olympique Club, but of course, you had a fantastic playing career too. You excelled in the top tier of the French Rugby League, you cracked Super League, which is a great achievement, and spent many years in the UK, and also represented France on a number of occasions. But before we get onto that, can you take us back to where you grew up and how Rugby League became part of your life as a kid? Yeah, I mean, this weather. It's called this little village in a community, you know, like called Rochelmont, where, you know, like it's just rugby focused, you know, like there's a soccer team there, but after that, it's like a very well known for this rugby league team, and because rugby league has been there for a long, long time. So my dad used to play, a lot of my family played there, you know, but I only started when I was like 10 years old, you know, and because uh, my dad didn't want me to play when I was young, so I did soccer, I did judo, and uh, uh, but I couldn't wait to play the game because uh, every like a lot of uh, weekend on a Sunday, uh, I used to go and watch them when I was uh, seven and eight, and I was like, oh, I like that game, you know, and I wanted to play. <laughs> and since then, yeah, uh, just you know, moved up the, the rank until you know, like moved to Carcassonne to study and. Uh, and practice rugby league every day and then I moved to Perpignan to play for Perpignan the Tres Catalan you know in mm-hmm. the first grade and then uh, my dream was to play in England have a crack in Super League which I did and uh, shaved and, uh, and also play for France too you know was was my dream too so Do you remember much about your Super League debut? Oh yeah I do uh, <laughs> John Key was the coach and I played for the field, so that was my first team in Super League and I, and I was 18 the, the team wasn't doing really well and after I think five rounds John told me like you'll be on the bench against Bradford mm-hmm. and he was the mighty Bradford you know oh, right, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Paul Prozer was there Leslie by Nicolo Tevita by Kono you wow. know and, uh, Joe Van Gana on the front row uh, they were like at the, at the best there and uh, and I came on on the second half we got a scrum for St. Jim Namo was half and just gave me the ball on the first occasion you know and I just I, I decided probably the Henry Paul was the smaller guy on the pitch so I just decided to run out at him you know and I was like 
That's fantastic. What, what did it mean to you to join the ranks of French players who made it to the UK professional ranks? You know, it's huge. You know, it's something I'm proud of. You know, because there was not that many. You know, that, that's I'm talking about. That's like 2000. You know, mm-hmm. honestly, we didn't have any idea of professionalism. Mm-hmm. But in France, you know, I've been into that sports study where we train every day, and it was like it was good preparation for us. But uh, nothing like what it was in England and, mm-hmm. uh, and the way they were preparing for the game. So we couldn't get to watch game. You know, like Super League game in France. You know, like we didn't have the internet. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that. You know, in 2000. So if you do your research now, you can check and, and learn. It was a bit harder, you know, at that time. So and that's why I mean, it makes it even more like for me, like uh, something that like makes me proud because it, it wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy and leaving the family too. We were communicating by fax and always my mother. Yeah. Like, so it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't easy how he can be now. So, but uh, it's such a great uh, achievement and, and, and honor. But but also that sometimes I've got regrets, you know, like because if I had the knowledge that I have now, uh, if I have like coaches also, but that, so that you know took me a little bit more into their arm, I think I could have been a, a lot better player. Now when we're preparing our boys. I would have loved to be like a sportsman now because, you know, like mm-hmm. the research that there is in sports and now uh, in terms of preparation, in terms of, uh, you know, like getting the boys ready, the body, the mind, you know, the mindset. It was raw, you know, it was like, if you're good naturally, you, you can do it. But after that, that didn't give us enough tools to get better. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask later on, but I'll bring these questions forward now about coaching because you've obviously been a coach for several years now. What perspective specifically does coaching give you that you just don't get as a player? Honestly, like it's the human side that I really enjoy. Giving the opportunity to some young man, you know, and, you know, like having the, the, the thinking behind this of like a project and bringing everyone together to achieve it, you know, like it's such a... A great, you know, like uh, feeling. That's what, as a, like, as a coach, you get, you know, and and it goes from like you know preparation from your first day to preseason to to the end, you know, like when you can get the the reward. Even like you know, like uh, we still haven't achieved what we want to do, like you to go to Super League, but mm. all the stages that we want to do, and every year, like we bring new details, you know, like uh, we want to make them something that we're going to be good at. Mm-hmm. And when you see that through the years, you know, like for example, two years ago, we wanted to change our defense. We lost the first two games when we changed our defense that year. Mm. Uh, and so that's where, like, you know, you're in a tricky position of, like, what's happened, you know, like, is mm. the players, you know, they're kind of going to start to doubt. You need to make sure, like, that the players still believe mm-hmm. what we're going to do, you know, and you're going to show them and you're going to work. You need to be good with your management and with your players. And when after the, I think on the fourth game we went to Bradford and we beat them fourteen nil, mm. that was the first nil that we had like in my uh, coaching career. You know, mm. that was like you know it's just great, huge reward. And from then, you know, like players you reinforce you, obviously your your position and and things like that. You know, it's like it's really interesting. You know, the, the strategy, the tactical, you know, analyzing opposition. I really like that as a coach. You know, it's a unique position, coach. I'm so privileged to be in that position, and uh, I will thanks Toulouse forever. You know, like to give me like that such an honor to, to represent the club into this coaching role. You know, forever. Mm-hmm. 
Sylvan, is there a highlight from your time in the UK? One moment that you remember vividly, a game, a try, an atmosphere that you experienced? I've got probably two games you know, that mark my memories in the UK. There's similarly circumstances, if you want. The first one, it was in 2003, I think, with the London Broncos. Bradford had been crowned Super League champion in 2002 mm-hmm. and World Cup champion. And they came at London, you know, and they were like, I can't remember exactly exactly time, but they were unbeaten. They had like a run of, I don't know how many games. Mm. And we managed to beat them 15 points to 14. Wow. You know, with, I think, uh, yeah, I was on a, on a wing on that day. I was in front of David Vicona, you know. And again, it was this huge Bulls team, you know, and where, like having done that result was, you know, it was unbelievable. And I remember, you know, we were leading for a while and it was like 15 minutes to go, you know, and I just remember them that they were like pinning us, you know, they were standing by corner against me all like for the last 10 minutes, you know, and I was like, I, I really like wasn't the pressure I could feel because I was I was a youngster, you know, and, and obviously the French two youngsters, so but I just didn't want to let my teammates down, and you know I have to like just get this leg and tackle him, whatever <laughs> I have to do. I want to do it just not to disappoint my team, my coaches, you know, and our supporters, and, and we managed to win, and it was just just an unbelievable moment, you know, for me. And the second one is a similar one, but that was with Wakefield. And I think that's in 2005. Leeds has been same crown uh, Super League champion and World Cup champion in 2004. Mm. They were an unbeaten record again. And it was around the Easter period, you know, when we play on a Friday and on a Monday. And on a Friday, we play at London. And I didn't play that game. And we lost quite heavy. We lost by 50 points. And on Easter Monday, we were playing Leeds. So can you imagine, you know, we lost a lot at London and we were playing Leeds where they were unbeaten and, like, uh, touchable at the time. Mm. And uh, Shane McNeely, like, told me, like, you'll be playing in the centre. And I was like, oh, wow. And <laughs> heading, you know, in front of 20,000 people on Easter Monday, which was like, I was happy, you know, and it was huge. And we again, we managed to beat them. Like, we beat Leeds, like, we broke their records in front of 20,000 people. And it was just magical. It was the best memory for me, you know, like, them two games. Fantastic. Fantastic. They're great memories. Now, Sylvain, you bookended your playing career in France. I mean, you started your career there, and after several years in the UK, you returned to the Elite One. Did you notice significant changes from the time you left to the time when you returned? Uh, Well, uh, yeah, uh, as I said to you, a little bit more with the information given to the players. You know, like, you know, players were a little bit more now aware that you need to grow as as a, you know, and like do some research, looking, you know, studying the game. Studying the players, you know, and obviously like uh, Australian coach who came there too, you know, and, and in Toulouse, Justin Morgan was the coach, you know, and so he brought professionalism into the club, you know, like a little bit of culture and, and give a little bit more information and prepare the players better, you know, and uh, obviously the fitness side too, you know, like the, the, when I started, there was no gym session at all. Like uh, when I came back, club like started to have like fitness coaches and within like you know a gym session, a couple of gym session in a week. So that's probably like the thing that I, that I noticed the most. Now, Zivan, let's go to your time in the tricolors of the French national team. You represented France, I think, seventeen times. Yes, like, that's it. yeah. What was the feeling like? in the French camp back in your time. Was there a good camaraderie there when the UK-based players joined back up with the local French talent or was there a bit of rivalry there? What was that all like? Well, 
I mean, first of all, it's, it's a huge crowd and honor, you know, like to represent uh, my country, and and it was something I really wanted, you know. Mm. And to answer your question, like I have to do it again in two times because if you want, my first memory of the of France was we didn't have any club in Super League, or mm. there wasn't many players playing in England. Mm. So because I played when I was 18, so that was like in '99, I think I started. So there was only like French players, and the camaraderie was was awesome. Mm. I mean, you know, I was a youngster, but like how they embraced me, all them, all players, you know, that was, it was huge, you know, and uh, we did a tour in New Zealand, in Papua New Guinea, we, we went for four weeks there, you know, and I mean, you can imagine like the, the great time we had and, and after that on the field, you know, it was, we had a goal, you know, we were like, it was an honor for us to represent it and we were, we played New Zealand, you know, at the Rickston Stadium and, uh, and we lost 30 points to nil against New Zealand, but mm. And we knew it would be tough. I mean, we were playing guys like Ruben Wookie, you know, and we were watching play uh, the first grade, and there were, you know, Stacey John was playing, you know, so uh, Clinton took me, Francis Millie on the wing, you know, I was in front of him, you know, and I, as a 18 man, you know, like, it was, it was just such great memories, you know, and uh, uh, but we had players, I mean, I don't know, you can imagine the, the French culture, we had players who were like just cracking chalk every day from the first minute they're waking up to the last one, you know, and uh, and, and and even as staff, they were they were nice, you know. Like they were again, it wasn't as professional uh, we could be or I is now. Mm. But in terms of memories, I, I couldn't ask more. You know, it was it was such a great fun. Yeah. Now, as someone who has experienced things firsthand as a French international, what were the facets of the game where you felt the gap between the French and the top teams was the biggest? Was it tactical, physical, or was it more around the professionalism of the setup? It's everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You know. You know. I think again. I'm going back to the staff before. Like they didn't give us the tools, enough tools for us to to be competitive. You know. It was just like for me. Uh, the memories I have. It was like just we just to train, but we didn't have any game plan or any tactics how, how we were gonna beat them. You know. Like how my memories is I was going there in the field with knowledge of it was just about for me taking the ball and do as best as I can to try you know <laughs> that's, that, no, but that's the, the, yeah. the memory that I have and, and which is sad because we had players who were like you know like had great skills had great talent but again we were not in a good environment and, and it's, that's not the staff's fault or it was just like that before you know like it was you know like think the origins of the game I just, just believe that you need to put someone with a good aura there as a, as a coach, as a head coach, mm. and then he'll be yelling at you at halftime if you're behind, and you're gonna you're gonna bounce back. You know, mm. I think there's more than that to winning a game. So, and I, I remember playing Lebanon, you know, in Lebanon, mm. where you would think that we should be able to beat them. And El Nasri was playing, you know. Oh yeah, Nasri. Yeah, they beat us by 30 because wow. they came. There was a lot of Australian in that team, and I think they had an Australian coach. But they came and they had like a great a game plan. They were like, they attacked us for defender, and they were like a little bit accounting numbers. Mm. We know we were not good accounting numbers. It mm. was like, you know, like three forwards run for like one shape and a kick, you know, like yeah. things like that, you know. So, yeah, it was different. And both thought that would have been a lot better. And after that, the thing also, like, in terms of preparation, game preparation, I like sharing the experience with the, the old players who, who have been, if you want, a little bit like, you know, that in 1991, it's the last team, French team who beat the, the Lions, you know, mm. the, the English team. 
Mm. You know, I would have loved how they beat them. You know, we don't know that. You know, like we still, even me and don't know how they managed to do that. You know, mm. I would have liked to know how they managed to do this. It was yeah. just pure luck. Oh no, obviously I don't, I don't believe it now, but it was just not only like just toughness or like they are like a little bit of like, obviously a shorter character, but it's more than that. And, and knowing all the things, creating a little bit born with legend players, you know, play that game. I think mm. that's, Sharing the experience, especially when you're young, I think it's it's a big key, it's important that we we create now. Yeah, bringing the old boys yeah, in, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Now, just like I asked you about your time in UK rugby league, can you tell me about a highlight from your time with the national team? Was there a game, a tournament, a moment that sticks out for you? Yeah, there will be one moment. I played, I think, uh, thirteen times for France, and then after I had like a couple of injuries, you know, on my knees, mm. and so I didn't play for three years I wasn't selected and couldn't play for France for three years mm. until John Money brought me back mm. the first game was against England again at Edingley and just that moment of I thought my international career was over you know but and I was like kind of sad you know like when when them three I was watching France playing and as I was saying oh I'm not there anymore you know and, but that John Money called and he brought me back and uh, honor to represent France again was just huge you know he was like uh, that national anthem when I sang it you know he, he came from very far out you know like and, mm. uh, and I had a great game too I really enjoyed playing in that game we were like at last time we were not too far off you know we were giving like a, a good shot against England or we ended up losing after quite heavily I think uh, it was like quite a big memory you know for me yeah. and obviously also like my family's in law was at a game like it was the first time they were watching me playing for France you know oh, nice. they, came, they came up from London you know so yeah it was it was just a very, very good honour for me that's a great achievement to come back after three years out of the, out of the side now Cheers, before we get to your best French 13, I have one more question, and it's from a guest questioner, Sylvain, who goes by the name of Big Al, and it, and it goes something like this. Hello, Sylvain. I hope you are well. It's Big Al here. Do you remember me? It's okay if you don't. Sylvain, when this COVID thing is over, I'm seriously considering a move to Albi to become a farmer, just like you. Would you recommend this as a life move? If so, what up-and-coming crops should I consider farming? I do remember of you like yeah, I can't forget big Oh my you'll be more than welcome to come and I think he is a great move. Honestly, like looking at the world that he goes, you know, I'm a big believer of uh, farming and like all the natural feeding the world like on the best way we can and uh, but for you big I think you know you need to come down next to Albi in like, a little place it's called Gayak okay. to make the best wine ever and you should go into the vineyard. <laughs> there you go that's great advice now Sylvain it's fascinating stuff thanks so much for sharing these experiences and insights now I'd love to get on to the best French 13 of your lifetime the best players you've seen played with or against or coached now I'm sorry to have given you homework you're the first guest I've ever asked to do homework uh, but I just thought it'd be a great education for me and I'm sure many listeners too because when we talk about the history of French Rugby League and the best French players of all time, the 1950s and 1960s cast a long shadow. So I thought it would be interesting to learn about some of the best players from the last 40 years, from your lifetime. So why don't we kick off uh, with the fullback? Who have you got at the back and why? 
Yeah, like you say, you know, it was interesting because, like you say, like on the first name of the fullback, I will be prepared to be with Pigou Bear, you know. Yeah. But, but like you say, knowing that, you know, in the last 40 years, it was like a good, like you say, you give me good, good homework to do. <laughs> but it was really interesting also to reflect on that. And for me, that the fullback, I will put Thomas Bosk, yeah. uh, who played for the Dragon, the Dragons, you know. Mm. And because I think you probably, I will say that a lot on why I put them players into this list. But it was because he's just such a great natural footballer. Mm. You know, he had a, an understanding of the game. He was like a very fully smart, you know, like he's a, and very skillful. He could create, could see, was someone to look up and like had the confidence to, to create big things. So and I know him when he was really young, you know, and he was um, someone very shy, like a little bit like introverted, but looking at him through his career growing up and how he developed and taking a little bit of leadership being the captain and then uh, was also like a big achievement mm. that's why I think uh, I believe like Thomas will be uh, will be the, the fullback yeah it's interesting you've got him at fullback because I only really knew him as in the halves and I remember seeing uh, a chip and chase off both feet against London Broncos he was really yeah. a, a skillful player all right there's your fullback yeah. Thomas Bosk now who have you got on the wings yeah that was like probably the toughest position for me, you know, like uh, looking at two best wingers, you know, like over the last 40 years. And I, I was like, why is he as loud? You know, I asked myself that question. And I think it's probably because of the, I believe that the winger position has evolved so much, you know, in the last 40 years. And that's probably why, you know, because with what we're asking to wingers to do now, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, I don't think wingers were just on a wing mm. and trying to finish tries, you know, but now with what we're asking them, like defensively taking the right option, you know, like returning kick, you know, catching them, bringing, you know, like on their first tackle, yeah. you know, like uh, making meters, finding their feet, like then playing fast for the them teammates, and obviously after that, finishing tries is so demanding. Then, mm. so I'm gonna go with like two of my wingers because I, I, when I look at that and I say all of that, there's probably the two. Wingers play for France, they're so in the French team actually, mm. but I think that they can they can achieve big because they've got all of them character, you know, and so it will be Elias Bergal and Paul Marcom, my two wingers, where, uh, you know, they've got all their attributes and I mm. say, you know, Paul is a great reader in defence, make good decisions. He's a great finisher and they do go through a lot, a lot of work mm. and he's, a, he's extremely fast too. And Elias is a little bit like different than Paul because like, he's so, such a strong boy. You know, mm. he's like a hundred plus kilos winger where on a first, like on a second tackle, it does very like he takes a lot of players to tackle him and he's like very strong. And after that, his positioning is great. You know, you know he's great well in defense, follow well, he's uh, half for center. But after that, in, in, in finishing tries, is, is outstanding. You know, and if it, in his first game for us, he scored six tries against Rochdale. You know, mm. where with the centre who was junior bye bye, who they only trained one week together. You know, it was his first game. Junior was his first game. You know, and and Junior is like so a player where he's that skillful in attack than. To find the right timing is really hard. Mm. If they find him, Ilias find the timing with Junior in his first game and scores six tries, you know. So mm. uh, there you go. There you go. That's very interesting. So you weren't tempted <laughs> to put yourself in there. So that, there you go. Okay. No, <laughs> no, no, no. 
Yeah, well, Paul Marconi always features in the highlights to score some spectacular tries. I remember one against Toronto, and I think he was part of the, the French nine squad as well. And Ilias Burgle, yeah, you're right. He has all the ingredients of the top-class wing, a tall, strong, good finisher, yeah. And again, he's, he's one of them guys. He's, he's really natural. He's a good natural footballer, you know, because he's smart. He knows how to, when to come in, like, you know. And, uh, and he's things that sometimes you can coach, you know. He's mm. like, he knows how to put, position himself well to be in the best position to score mm. tries, you know. And that's why he's there for me. Sure. Okay, so two very modern wingers. So, Sylvain, who have we got in the centres? And there, I'm going to go two very old <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with David Frest uh, mm-hmm. on the centre and, and Guy Delaunay. Mm-hmm. So David played, uh, he played in England, so he had a career with, in England. Mm-hmm. And Guy was like, he was my my ex-coach too, to be fair, at the Tres Catalan. Oh, yeah. and, but then two centres, they're similar. They were like very aggressive in everything they were doing, you know, like which was defence or attacking. They were like running very hard, you know, like they had good lines, they got great fit, and they were strong too. They were strong mm-hmm. for, you know, for people who were not doing any gym session, you know, they were like really hard, but after that, they were to defend and they were great competitor for me, you know, like, so that's why, and, and you know, they play for France a lot, you know, Guy Delaunay, I remember uh, seeing picture of him, you know, against Australia and where, like, you know, he was in front of Man Meninga and gave him very, like, a tough game, you know, mm-hmm. Not something, you know, yeah. uh, when you play against Malmeninga. And, you know, and I, I think I'm, I've seen somewhere that Malmeninga was telling it, like, you know, he was recognized as one of the best centers in the world, you know, mm. So, yeah, it's something to achieve, you know. And that's why the two players will be on my center's team. Yeah, okay. So, Guy Delaunay, he played for Saint-Estève and was part of the French team throughout the 80s and early 90s. And, and David Frasse represented France in the 80s and 90s, including the Rugby League World Cup 1995 and also played for Sheffield, as you said, and Bradford and Workington Town. So, there you go. There are your centres. Okay, so who have you got in the halves? Firstly, at standoff, uh, 5'8". Yes, so it will be Pierre Chamoureng, come from Perpignan, where I play for Saint-Estève. Mm-hmm. But he also like, uh, was part of the team in the Paris Saint-Germain rugby league team, you know, in the Super League. Mm-hmm. I played with Pierre on my last year, and he was someone, you know, like, so skillful and so smart, you know, like, fully smart. He was just, like, unbelievable to watch. He had everything. All the passes you can have, like he had a great feet, great kicking game. He, he could win a game just on his own for you, you know, and that's how, why I put him there as, a, as the best because it's just again, like this vision, this uh, naturally fully knowledge, you know, was unbelievable. And after that, having played on my list, like I've watched him play, and having played my last season with him, I just recognize how, like, even like, you know, he wasn't someone who talked much. But how the aura he has, like in the changing room, he was such a great leader, and you know, I knew that, you know, that's why he achieved so much, mm. won a lot of trophy with Saint-Estelle, because Pierre was like, you know, an outstanding player there. And it's a shame that again, you know, player like him, if he had like a professional environment or a name, would mm. have been such a, a world-class player. And what about halfback? Yeah, and in the half, it would be Patrick Antat. Mm-hmm. And there was like, there's a few players there because I would have cool mentioned Gilles Dumas, my old coaches, who was like very good at two and great leaders around the park. But I thought Patrick was like a little bit more the complete players, you know, like uh, he was a really tough guy. He goes out in defense, put the big shoulder, you know, and like a cool aggressive players. Even that. He was so small, but he could aggress players. And I like that, that aspect a little bit of that sometimes because he showed to your teammates that. 
you know, if you are back, he's up there, you know, like you're gonna go, you're gonna follow him. Mm. Uh, and after again, he had like a great vision, kicking, pass, short pass, like he was very tenuous players, you know, who could create something from nothing, you know. Mm. So under carry in, in England too, you know. So uh, uh, Patrick will be my, my back. Fantastic. So the the halves there were both from the Rugby League World Cup 1995, and I believe uh, Patrick, he played for Avignon and then spent some time at Hull FC, Leeds, and yes, of course, Paris Saint-Germain. Now, we've got our back line, so let's go to the forwards. Who have you got in the prop department? Yeah, well, the first one would be Jérôme Guisset, mm-hmm. which I played many, many ways and a lot of games together. And he's someone a little bit older than me, but he's always someone who like inspired me. You know, it was like we went in England together. And he's someone that I, I was looking at because he's not the biggest pro forward, you know. But his preparation is what was probably for me the first real professional uh, in France. Where like you know, because he went in England as a young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also played three games in Anaheim, you know, for Canberra. Mm-hmm. So he came back there. We were in, a, in the same sports study, you know, in Kakasson together. So when he came back from Canberra, you know, he brought us a lot of that. And he was sharing things, you know, and he was... So that it, it was just someone to look at. And uh, and the way he was preparing himself for the seasons, for games, I uh, really liked it. And, and after that, you know, the way he played the game, he's someone who was consistent. You know, every weekend he was good, you know. And that's why I say he's the, probably the first professional because... He had the preparation, he had the routine, and he was delivering every weekend, week out, you know. Mm. And the other prop forward? Yeah, the other prop forward is like an old teammate, my old, old uh, captain, and he's unfortunately, and he passed away last year, you know, but he with mm. Didier Cabestani. Mm-hmm. And for different reasons, because he wasn't professional at all, <laughs> like mm. in terms of the, he was just raw as, but like what a great player, mm. you know, like and uh, as an A, you know, he was like just someone who could, you knew why he was your captain because he just showed his way all the time. He had like a big engine on him, just taking carries after carries, tackling after tackling. He was like this big mountain guy, you know, with huge hand and uh, like, you know, as, as raw and natural as he could be. He wasn't the most skillful prop, but just go hard, hard every game, every time for a long period, like, you know, as long as he was on the field and in training. You know, and as a captain, he wasn't saying much in the changing room, but he was just showing the way on a field. And you know, he was my captain when I was 17, mm. but I knew he would protect me. You know, like he was like just, he wasn't saying much, but he was only one thing. He was like, hey guys, you know, if someone touched Sylvain, you know, like we're all there, you know. <laughs> so, you know, like it was like kind of reassuring yeah. you know, at that time. So it was just such a great player, you know, to have around. Big brother figure. Now, he played most of his career at Trez Catalan before featuring in PSG's two Super League seasons. Okay, there you're prop forwards. What about the hooker? Yeah, the hooker, I'm going to put Julien Rinaldi. So, mm-hmm. again, he's like a, a former half, you know, who finished his career in hooker. But I think he's, he's probably the best hooker than trying to produce, you know. Again, same than Jerome. I really like his professionalism. You know, he started being love as a youngster, play a lot of games there and win. A lot of trophy, you know, and then moved to, uh, to the Catalan player in England, I think for Bradford, Wakefield, finished in London, you know, and towards the end, you know, when I play last game for France with him, I really liked the way he, he abode the games, like, you know, he, you know, he was like his preparation, he was a great professionalism, and in terms of the hooker role, having played half, 
really made him very skillful. Mm-hmm. Like his passing, his kicking, his vision made him like a really great uh, hooker, you know. And after that, uh, his competitiveness made him like very good defender. He was like because he's not he wasn't the biggest player, but like mm-hmm. in the middle, like he was just tackling everything, you know, like like having like a great technique there and just work really hard to achieve all them things, you know, and I think Julien, like, yeah, he's someone that I was looking up to, you know, because I really like the way, this competitiveness and the way he approached the game. Mm. Yeah, and Julien was also part of the 2008 Rugby League World Cup campaign. And as you said, after starting out at Villeneuve, he spent time at about six Super League clubs or UK clubs, mm. I believe, and, you know, yeah. a very energetic player. Okay, there's your front row. Who have we got in the second row, number 11 and 12? Who have we got? Yeah, so the number 11 will be Gael Talek, which left France as a like as a 17-year boy, you know, because he was signed by Wigan yeah. and played for Wigan and Castlefall in and Halifax, maybe I think in Super League. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I know Gael very well and play with him. And he's, just, he's such a great teammate. He, he was someone who took me under his wing too. Like for example, on that tour in New Zealand, I was rooming him with him, you know, and he's a lot older than, than, than me, but just teach me a few things, you know, approaching and learning the game. And that's why I really rate him for that, mm. like as maybe as a little bit of selfish reason. But on the field, having achieved what he's done, he's probably the first French players who like made a big career, you know, in, in England, in Super League, mm-hmm. and playing regularly there. He had, like he was strong. He had great feet. He was like you know, like he had a good size. But like again, he has to work hard to uh, to achieve what he wants to do. And he was someone like who worked really, really hard. But his way of approaching the game and uh, his line was really good. You know, he could run really good line as a second row. So uh, so that's why he's there. And the second, my second, second row will be Pascal Jampi from the from the Tres Catalan, mm-hmm. someone who I played many ways and like off the field was like a great character. Always done, I got to smile on his face, and that's that's as important as being on the on the field for me. Yeah. You know, like he was someone who never negative, never. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he always shake his hand in the morning or like when we were training on the evening there, but every day he had like a great smile on his face and asking you how you are, you know. And after that on the field. He's someone who loved the ball, running with the ball, could go across the field because he was really fast for his side. He had a huge fan and like just bump players from after bumping players, you know, like a lot of breaking tackles. And he was like a walker, could he walk a lot on the field for, mm. for the team. So, so that's why they went to single row. Yes, and, and both those yes, second rowers, Talek and Jumpy, were part of the 1995 Rugby League World Cup campaign. I think Jumpy was also part of 2000 Rugby League World Cup as well. And he spent his whole career in France, played for, as you said, Tres Catalan, then PSG in yeah. Super League, and then the merged UTC club in, in Perpignan as well. Now, who is locking the scrum? Mm-hmm. But along 
you know, his journey is like meeting very good coaches, I think, you know, along his way, you know, and then which one of them will be like Trent Robinson mm-hmm. from the Roosters mm-hmm. and also the, the, the fitness coach, Keegan Smith, you know, who really, really helped him to look after himself to prepare himself and because of his willingness and resilience, you know, like of Remy, just so who wants to achieve and be such a good player. And, you know, like he, he managed to build himself like a citizen and a way of playing the game that suited him. Because mm-hmm. again, he's not the biggest pro forward and to play at this level. And I think he achieved 250 games. No, I think he had like a huge number and being consistent week in, week out and you want to have room for him on his team because I think he's, he will go down as like a, a one of our legends of the game. You know? mm. Yeah, a real stalwart of the, the Catalan Dragons has been there from the beginning. But of course, yeah, like, like you said, spent the 2014 season playing for the Roosters. Okay, so that is a pretty formidable team. Thank you so much for sharing. Let's go through it. I'm just going to recap again. So we've got at fullback, Toma Bosk. Uh, on the wings, we've got Paul Marcon and Ilias Burgel. In the centres, Guy Delaney and David Fress. Uh, I'm sure I've mangled that pronunciation. In the halves, oh, we've got... <laughs> in the halves, we've got Pierre Chamorin and Patrick Entat. In the front row, we've got Jérôme Gousset and Didier Cabestani. And at hooker, Julien Rinaldi. And in the second row, Gael Talek and Pascal Jompi. And locking the scrum, Remy Casti, of course. So, very, very interesting. So, thank you so much for sharing that team with us, Silvan. Are you happy with that team? Yeah, I am, actually. I think there's some very good players, you know. And I even like it even more with your pronunciation. So, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to all the families out there. No, it's perfect. No, no, no you did it well. All right. Well, Silvan... We're out of time, but thanks so much for taking the time to join us and sharing your thoughts and experiences from your life in French Rugby League. Can't wait to see Toulouse Olympique back in action very soon. So, Sylvain Houlet, go well, and thank you so much for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Thank you very much to you. You know, say hello to our, all our Australian families and uh, followers, you know, and we really look forward to, you know, to get back obviously into action with, uh, with Toulouse. Progressive Rugby League. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, it was just over a year ago when we visited Sylvain's farm. Sylvain picked a few plums from his plum tree to keep us sated on our drive back from his farm to Toulouse. I was going to say it feels like only yesterday, but it actually feels a bit more like five years ago. Damn this far as playing with my perception of time. All right, time to call it for another day. If you want to check out our experiences from that trip last year, look out for PRL Study Tour audio scrapbook in our feed from about August last year. But otherwise, thanks again for your time, ladies and gentlemen. And until we next meet, rugby league hobby and see ya.